This is the Pain Information Network, and we're about 86 now. This is a really great episode. I have Dr. Cordner back on. He's been a really terrific uh, source of information, an interventionalist in southern Florida. New guy, Dr. Rosenfeld, who I've known for some time, he was a speaker today at Dr. Floretti's meeting, and he's a very, very qualified interventionalist. And he understands uh, pain from a broad perspective. Dr. De La Garza, he walks in, he's cornered, he's going to speak a little. He's going to talk about opioid-induced hyperalgesia. And that's really important because folks don't realize sometimes more is not better, sometimes less is better. So he's going to talk a little bit about controlled substances, some ways to approach controlled substances. And this goes back to just around the Civil War when we realized that we gave too many opioids the opioids worked against us, and he's going to talk about that. So I think it's kind of fun listening to these guys because, um, you know, we're just kind of open-ended discussion. And, you know, knowledge comes from within, and these guys express it well. So let's get to it. We're at Dr. Floretti's meeting in Florida today, Jacksonville, Florida. This is an annual meeting where Dr. Floretti brings in uh, the best and the brightest, and i got a couple of them here today, and it's a packed room. There's about 400 folks here, and they come from all walks of life and all uh, nature of medicine. There's uh, physical therapists, there's nurse practitioners, PAs, MDs. It's a good group. It's a fun group. There's a lot of nurses out there. And it's good to get in front of them and tell them what we do. And uh, I have a couple of uh, of our speakers today that have just really knocked it out of the park. So, uh, David, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm David Rosenfeld. I'm an anesthesiologist and pain specialist in Atlanta, Georgia, part of Alliance Spine and Pain. We're the third largest pain group in the country and cover most of metropolitan Atlanta. So I practice predominantly interventional pain management have an interest in neuropathic pain, diabetic neuropathy, and other neuropathic states, do a lot of spinal cord stimulation and other treatments for neuropathic pain. That's great. I had the pleasure of uh, going down and meeting him at his office and spending a little time with him. And it's a great organization down there. If you're in the Atlanta area, these guys are top drawer. And sitting next to David is Harold Cordner. He's a friend of the show. Uh, Refresh us. Hi, my name is Harold Cordner. I uh, have an office in Vero Beach, Florida, in Sebastian, Florida, and I am up here for the meeting as well. I uh, also am an anesthesiologist by background and training and do pain management for the last 24 years here in Florida. Um, my special interests are probably uh, very similar to David's, where I do a lot of spinal cord stimulation for neuropathic pain post-laminectomy syndrome, but really deal with uh, the entire gamut of pain management and the special group of elderly patients we see here in Florida. That's great. Well, Harold, uh, let's start with you. Uh, You're going to talk today about the importance of diagnosis. Now, I have these five rules, and the rules are um, pain is a description, it's not an entity. Number two, you must have a diagnosis. Number three, if you think pain is something you can't treat in that diagnosis category, like fibromyalgia, you need to rule it out. If you think it's entirely psychosomatic, send it out. 
Number four, know your meds. Five classes, five drugs in each class. I think everybody knows these. And the last one, from a compassion standpoint, I want to relieve your pain. But from a realistic standpoint, I want to re- I want to get your function better. So don't chase pain. Now, rule two is diagnosis. And I can tell you from uh, the physician and provider standpoint, that is a pivotal point of start, not only start, but a uh, positive clinical outcome. Tell me a little bit about what you do to get the diagnosis in these very complex and sometimes vague pain patterns. Well, Hans, I could not agree with you more in, in all those things you said. And the to me, the most important part of uh, treating pain management is actually making your diagnosis first. And it, it's actually pretty straightforward. And I tell my patients on a daily basis, you know, in medical school, they treat you first to make a diagnosis, and then you initiate treatment. But all too often in the pain world or with back pain, uh, people just have treatment after treatment after treatment uh, long before a diagnosis is established. And we see patients who uh, come in for an initial consultation and they've been to the chiropractor and this doctor and that doctor and had this treatment and that treatment. And so I look at them and say, well, what's your diagnosis? They say, well, I have back pain. Yeah. I say, well... That's not a diagnosis. That's a, a that's a symptom. You know, I said if you went to a doctor and said, "I have this pain right here in my abdomen," and they said, "Well, let's take out your gallbladder, see if that works. If that doesn't work, we'll take out your appendix. If that doesn't work, maybe we'll cut out a piece of your colon." And they look at me like I'm crazy. I said, "Well, that's pretty much what you've gone through. You've yeah. had a whole bunch of treatments, and nobody's ever really diagnosed exactly where your pain is." Um, so the the your treatment success obviously is going to rest on the fact that you made the proper diagnosis and you treated the right thing, just like in abdominal pain. So with back pain, you really need to come up with a diagnosis. Is this facet joint pain? Is this arthritis pain? Is this a ligamentous structure? Is this a disc? Is it a disc? Which disc is it? Um, and quite often those patients never really have the proper workup or diagnosis made and that is not always easy Um, and that's where I think the art of of medicine and really becoming an astute clinician and acute diagnostician is probably the single most important part of what I do every day Uh, like I said you can treat you can teach people how to put a needle in somebody but you really need to um, have a really good handle um, listen to the patient have a great um, wealth of knowledge physical exam uh, abilities um, and you need to come up with that diagnosis before you initiate treatment yeah you said it well coming up with the diagnosis is not simple because in pain a lot of our bedside examination tests are of dubious uh, results sometimes and that's why sometimes our diagnostic injections are so helpful for things like SI pain and the like but you brought up a, a good point we need to get the diagnosis by using tools and sometimes those tools are diagnostic tools like MRIs and that sort of thing and in this um, day and age, uh, in this environment, we have a lot of tr- trouble getting those, don't we? Well, it, it's funny you mention the MRIs because usually the patients come back and they go, well, didn't you look at my MRI? My MRI says I have a bulging disc. And so well, you have the bulging disc is one, normal, but two, there's other things going on there as well. Um, if you take a look at everybody that's had an MRI with 
no back pain ever, over 30% will have a disc herniation, not even a bulge, on MRI and be totally asymptomatic. So it's people don't realize, and again, it, again, it goes to the, the diagnosis portion, is I went to the doctor, my primary care doctor, I have this bulging disc, this is where my pain is coming from. And that is by far more often untrue. That's not where the pain is coming from. And again, why they go through the treatment of the wrong thing. And it's amazing how many times that I'll examine a patient and they go, wow, that's the best physical exam I've ever had in my life. My last doctor didn't even touch me. And so, you know, in medical school, you learn that your history and physical exam is 90% of your diagnosis. And that tests um, basically confirm what you've done. Now, you brought up a good point with diagnostic injections and why that's so important in what we do in that when you take an MRI and the patient has degenerative disc disease and they have facet arthropathy and they have all kinds of findings, it could be any of those things. And usually it's a combination of those things. So I said the patients, it might be 80% facet joint pain, 20% disc pain. It could be 50% facet pain. It could be 50% disc pain. But I can't tell you which is more painful by looking at your MRI. And so those diagnostic injections, if you put numbing medicine on that joint and 90% of your pain goes away, well, then 90% of your pain is coming from that joint. If 10% of your pain goes away, then 90% is coming from something else. And we're not going to bother about your 10% of your pain. We're going to go find out where that 90% is coming from. And that's really the key to treating this is exactly these diagnostic injections. Is it a sacroiliac joint pain? I think so on examination, but if I put a needle in that sacroiliac joint and your pain goes away, I'm very confident that that's where your pain is coming from. And that's unfortunately how you make a diagnosis um, that is often not done, but it's critical to determining where the patient pathology is, where their pain generator is, and where I'm going to focus my treatment options. David, let me have you grab the microphone because I know you're up next. And, Harold, I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask you something about cross-diagnosis when they've gone to multiple physicians. There's this really interesting and important problem we have in medicines, and it's hard to get across to patients. Sometimes more is not better, and no more so than in opioid therapy and management. And there's a concept that uh, you're going to talk about, Dave, and you're an expert in this sort of thing. Tell us what I'm talking about. So we're talking about opiate-induced hyperalgesia, which is the idea that increasing the amount of opiates can actually make a patient's pain worse. It's a hard concept to sell to a lot of patients. When they come to me, we've gone up, or another physician has gone up and up on their pain medication. Now they're in my office. And I suggest to them, maybe backing off on your pain medicine is the answer because these constant recurrent increases have actually maybe made your pain worse. That's true. And it was recognized right after the Civil War that people that got a lot more uh, morpheus or morphine, they actually hurt more. And so it goes way back, and it's a very real concept, this opioid-induced hyperalgesia. So what do you do about it? Well, the answer, as I alluded to earlier, is we actually decrease the amount of opiate, uh, decrease the dosage of the opiate. We add in other medications, uh, adjunct medications, to help better control the patient's pain while reducing their opiate dose on a daily basis. 
Yes, that's easier said than done. But it, it is in the patient's best interest, and it's counterintuitive, but it is a very real thing. So do you, do you use other adjunctive medication? I know I try to add gabapentinoids. That sometimes helps. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. The gabapentinoids, be it, you know, be it gabapentin or Lyrica or, or some of the other medications in that class, all certainly help. Uh, anti-inflammatory medications help, muscle relaxers. The bottom line is to try to use a multimodal approach to the pain and in doing so reduce the amount of morphine equivalents or the amount of opiates that the patients are taking in the course of a day. Yeah, that's a, a really important concept. And I know, I know it's going to come up over and over again. It comes up in my office all the time. Less is better. And we always have an exit strategy because opioids aren't meant to be running through your veins all your life. And this concept of opioid-induced hyperalgesia, you almost have to take on faith. And um, I know that when you're dealing with your patients, you, you have a script. How do you tell them or break them into this concept that, well, less is better. You're not going to hurt more, but I'm helping you here. It's a very hard thing. As you said earlier, it's easier said than done. I can certainly explain it to patients, and I'll openly admit 10 or 15 years ago, I'm not sure I bought into the concept of opiate-induced hyperalgesia, but certainly you know, over the last decade, I've become a clear believer that it's real, and I think most of us in the pain world are, are a believer that it's real. It that, takes work. I mean, Yeah, it does. Yeah, go ahead. It, it does take work, but it takes also an open line of communication with the patient. Absolutely. You've got to talk to the patient. You've got to explain your rationale. And you've got to be willing to follow up with the patient, likely on frequent intervals, either by phone or in the office, to be sure that, in fact, that is what's going on. I mean, obviously, there's always the potential that this worsening pain is, worse, is due to a worsening disease state. But if you're reasonably convinced and based on your examination, based on your diagnostic findings, that what you're seeing is worsening pain due to OIH, the answer is to reduce the amount of opiates the patient is taking. Yeah, that's great. I know you got to get up on the podium uh, here in a minute. How do they get a hold of you? So I'm available. As I said, I'm in the Atlanta area. My office number, 770-929-9033. The website is Spine Pains with an S. SpinePains.com. You know, he's sitting right in the middle of Atlanta next to some of the most prestigious hospitals in the country, including the Spine Institute, so it makes sense. And uh, thanks for coming on. Harold, I'm back at you. All right, Harold, the microphone's back in your hand. We're talking uh, about diagnosis. Now, one of the, the banes of my existence is when somebody comes in and they tell me the diagnosis because somebody has told them the diagnosis. It's what they want to hear, not necessarily what they need to hear. They've heard it from uh, across the board of providers, from chiropractic to PT. My PT says, says my muscles are causing my back problem. My chiropractor says I have uh, bad, bad disc pain. Uh, my family doctor says, I ain't got nothing wrong with me. Uh, how do we make the diagnosis? That's a great point, Hans, and, and it's typically something I see every day is, um, is that exact situation that they've been to multiple providers, multiple physicians, uh, been sometimes the right diagnosis, but more often than not the wrong diagnosis. Um, and again, as you pointed out earlier, uh, they've been to a chiropractor or a physical therapist and, oh, this is muscle spasm. 
Uh, and you, you do have to convince the patient that those other providers are wrong and that you're right. And um, that can sometimes be challenging, but most often they've never heard anything explained. And so when you pull out an anatomic model or a spine and you start showing them what a facet joint is and discogenic pain, and you actually explain to the patient, here's where this pain can come from, here's the different options, and spend enough time with them and examine them, they typically will turn their faith to you and say, okay, this guy makes sense. And they'll start nodding their head, and you have to make sense to the patient so that they believe you, uh, rather than what they've been told by some other physician or some other provider or some neighbor or relative or whoever it is. Um, but again, what you can convince them uh, with diagnostic injections usually, um, as we were talking about earlier, if their pain goes away, uh, that's the proof is in the pudding, as I say, um, that they say, oh my God, this is the first time in 10 years I had no back pain. This is great. And so that really um, kind of cements the deal for them is if you can show them that this is uh, where your pain is coming from, and we proved it. I'm not telling you your pain is going away. I'm not telling you this treatment's going to make your pain go away. I'm asking you, how does your pain feel now after this diagnostic injection? I put local anesthetic in there. For the next four hours, you're going to keep track of how much pain relief you've had. The first hour, second hour, third hour, fourth hour. You tell me how much of your pain is gone. And it's not you telling them that their pain is gone and them reporting back to you. And if the patient states, God, I had an 85% pain relief after that injection, um, I think they're going to believe you rather than um, the other provider who's told them otherwise. Yeah, it's not that they're not well-meaning. They are well-meaning. But these vague diagnoses that we hear come through the door, muscle spasm, what does that mean? Well, I need a muscle relaxer. I don't know many people that get better with a muscle relaxer. A little pill doesn't always help us. And, in fact, it's never going to make a diagnosis for us. Well, it's, you know, people very often come in complaining of muscle spasm. In fact, they're usually grabbing their shoulder blade or their scapular muscles, and they're like, it's this muscle spasm. They grab it, they massage it, they put ice on it, and they deal with that for months and months. And then, of course, their MRI shows they have a C5-6 disc herniation. They explain, well, this is where pain radiates to. This, mm-hmm. this is exactly where you're going to feel pain in that distribution. And they've had shots into it and it didn't work. And they say, well, it didn't work because that's not where your pain's coming from. It's not coming from the muscle, even though it, you, you've been told this is a muscle spasm. It's not. This is radiating, ridiculous pain that goes there. And very often, muscles, people think it's just muscle spasm. Uh, disc herniations, it, they can feel what they think is a muscle spasm or facet joint pain. They may think it's a, a muscle spasm, um, and that's why they've had this treatment, that treatment, chiropractic treatment, massage therapy, ice packs, and you've done all this for the last six months and nothing's gotten better because it's not a muscle spasm. You're right. This referred pain, as you say, is generally mistaken for a problem at that region, like thoracic pain uh, below the neck. Well, actually, it's probably a referred pain. Like you said, it's from C567. And what you do is you get a massage therapy, and it feels great. And in 24 hours, you're hurting more because it's a peripheral manifestation of a central nervous system problem, and all you're doing is aggravating that nociceptive input or or the painful input where it's showing up. And the problem was up there. 
it wasn't where it's there um, and uh, at, the sp- at the point of pain. That's chasing pain. So if you could summarize, what do you want to do um, to get a better understanding in patients uh, and, and our listeners that um, diagnosis pre- precedes all treatment? Well, that, that's, again, the basis of medicine is the ABCs. When you, whether it's pain or whether it's heart disease or abdominal pain or any disease, is that you make a diagnosis first and then you treat it. Um, and I can't stress that enough um, in, in all of medicine is that you wouldn't go to a doctor and start taking medicine if they never diagnosed you, examined you, and just said, oh, here you go, take this. Um, we expect as physicians where you make a diagnosis first and you treat based on your diagnosis. You don't treat based on nothing. You have to make sure of your diagnosis or as come to, as close to what you think is the correct diagnosis. And fortunately, we have the technology and the ability most often now to correctly diagnose back pain or pain in the right hands. Um, and I think that's the dangerous part is there are a lot of people who are may not be qualified to really understand the pathophysiology or the underlying disease process to make that diagnosis. And there's a lot of pseudo-pain doctors and that will label patients with fibromyalgia or whatever. Um, we see patients that have had cancer. Um, they've had bone metastases and we're told that it's you know something else and they've never had uh, an MRI and you do an MRI and they have mets to the spine and it was completely diagnosed as muscle spasm and they've been taking muscle relaxation for the last six months while um, there's cancer spreading. So it's vital in all of medicine to do your adequate history, physical examination, make your diagnosis. Once you had your diagnosis, then initiate treatment. You can't just initiate treatment first without diagnosis. And as you said so eloquently, pain is not a diagnosis. Back pain is a symptom. It's not a diagnosis. Well, that's right. So... I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and you're a Southern Florida um, expert, a leading physician, a thought leader. That's what we call them. And people want to know how to get a hold of it. I don't want them to get a hold of me. No, I'm yeah, you do. I do, and I love people, <laughs> my patients. Um, my office is Florida Pain Management Associates. I have offices in uh, Sebastian, Florida, and Bureau Beach, Florida. Uh, our office telephone is 772 388 9998 and our website is www.floridapain.com you know people don't get out of here that come in here um and miguel walked in uh another uh, leader in florida he's in the tampa area so i'm not letting you out of here without talking to you tell tell me a little bit about yourself first of all thanks for having me on the podcast with such esteemed colleagues uh, I'm an interventional pain physician uh, who trained in the area, went to Cleveland and decided it was too cold and came back to the area. We have offices in uh, four, three counties, four offices, so we have a pretty wide swath of uh, area that we cover. Um, but we're a multidisciplinary interventional practice uh, that also does addiction treatment and recently have been doing uh, stem cell therapies and other such related uh, 
new age medicine type thing. Well, you brought up uh, buprenorphine, and uh, it, it's you know upside and downside. But you brought up an interesting downside that's relevant to what we're talking about here. Go ahead. So I think that we were talking about opioid-induced hyperalgesia and how to treat mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And one approach may be to initiate that patient on buprenorphine and to try to reset the uh, pain pathways such that the pain improves. Case in point, real-life example, I just saw the patient last week. patient comes to me, had been on uh, oral morphine equivalent daily of about 400 per day, have been given gratuitous amounts of opioids uh, by a pain physician who was a primary care doctor, Boston area, former hedge fund manager who had sarcoma of the leg, had an above-the-knee amputation, has phantom pain, and had never been given any sort of interventional therapy after they did the amputation, basically to address the underlying pain. Was not on anti-neurologic medications, not on any anti-inflammatories, and was complaining of uh, pain in that area. So when he presented to me, he's actually in withdrawal because of some mishap with his medications, and essentially they got displaced, and he, uh, you know, pain was 10 out of 10. So in reviewing everything for the patient, I tried sympathetic nerve block, tried uh, an epidural treatment, I guess my better judgment, but it relieved the pain to me indicating that there was some sort of central neurological mechanism going on. Initiated him on Suboxone, started some benzodiazepines to taper him off of the Xanax that he was prescribed in Boston. Pain scores literally walked into my office yesterday, four to five range, was able to carry on a conversation, and actually uh, was able to articulate things in an intelligible manner. But to that end, we see a patient who presents in withdrawal, likely was on an opioid roller coaster without appropriate multimodal treatment therapies for a central pain condition and was always chasing the ghost. And in the end, what buprenorphine does that may be a little bit different than just trying to quote-unquote dry the patient out is it likely modulates the kappa receptor and decreases spinal dynorphine that we all know can be uh, in an inappropriate increase or decrease relative to the opioids um, where they are in the cycle in terms of uh, dose escalation over time. And buprenorphine sort of modulates that. And we see through different studies that have been done actually in southern South Florida that over time the pain improves and these patients may or may not be able to reduce the buprenorphine over time. But essentially their levels of function go up despite their pain, um, also because their pain uh, goes down as well. Yeah, that's uh, well put. So buprenorphine is Suboxone, uh, and Suboxone uh, is the same as uh, Subutex. They're just different, a little bit different formulations. And um, when we talk about multimodality, we're talking about uh, you know physical therapy, maybe other medications. Um, we're talking about other things other than just um, opioid uh, management or controlled substance management. And uh, when we have somebody with suspected opioid-induced hyperalgesia come in through our door. We're not being inhumane. Uh, we're, what we're trying to do is find a pathway to give them the most with the least. Wouldn't you say that's true? I agree a million and to the infinity power percent. <laughs> Essentially, we have patients that are uh, escalating with opioids without a rational treatment course and to Dr. Cordner's point, we have to understand the underlying process that's going on. Another case example, I treated a 
life coach to health executives, Irony of All Ironies, right? Comes to me and is basically um, who had been seen by another interventional pain expert, excellent trained physician, excellent hands, but had pain in the thoracic referred to the scapular region, had radiofrequency of everything along the spine, and essentially didn't get better. So it ends up turning out she has a thoracic disc herniation with radicular pain uh, radiating. In addition to that, she had an injury while working out and essentially had developed hypertrophy and disuse atrophy at the same time. And I've over the past uh, year or so, we've been able to do an exercise regimen for her, uh, provide Botox treatments to try to get the symmetry back into proper uh, alignment for her spine and for the muscle groups. At the same time, we do intermittent rate of frequency ablations to address the spine pain. At the same time, we might do an intermittent transframinal treatment for the radicular component of her pain. But you have to listen to your patient, understand what's been done before, and try to identify the cause. This patient is taking a mild opioid, but is very functional and essentially um, is uh, a very uh, good advocate for her own health. Patient participation needs to be um, a strong component of your treatment plan. And frankly, if they're not, you may have to modify the treatment plan to be a little more um, direct and may have to do a quid pro quo in terms of if you're not going to do the functional rehabilitation for your treatments, we're not going to give you opioid management and or interventional treatments. Well, so you have to go hand in hand. That's, that's an important point. So, all right, well, uh, tell, me, tell me a little bit about your background and how we get a hold of you. And, uh, and again, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. I really uh, like to be able to uh, speak to patients and uh, other professionals in the field. Our uh, offices are in Newport Ritchie, West Chase, which is a suburb of Tampa. We have one all the way down in Venice, which is in Manatee County. We also have one in West Pasco, which is in uh, Dade City. Our number is 727-846-7618. Our website is www.painmanagementpartners.com with an s.com if you give us a call we'll be happy to help you out well thanks for coming on and uh any closing comments i'd just like to say that we are advocates for our patients first and foremost and uh, the pain community uh, always is trying to do the best for our patients you got it thanks again thank you i really enjoy interviewing people that do it every day these aren't the ivory tower people, kind of these academics. People think they go to this big academic institution. They're getting, you know, this special kind of thing. Well, a lot of times the person you're talking to might be a resident or might be uh, an individual who's just out of training and who's doing their academic stuff, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but these guys have experience. So it's fun listening to experience, and especially when they're out there in the trenches and they're doing it every day and they're doing it for the right reason. So leave us a comment at paininformation.com. Read every one of them and uh, review at iTunes would really be helpful and subscribe if you can tell your friends and neighbors and uh, i look forward to talking to you soon so we will talk again